You may be seated. This time, please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. We're reading two sections from Leviticus chapter 19. In just, in just a little bit, um, we had read through the whole chapter previously, and the last time I preached in the evening, and we'll be looking at two segments tonight. But I want to begin with a story and a little bit of an introduction. Growing up, I had a friend, we'll call his name Mark, and we went to the same church, and we were in the same neighborhood together for a while, and so we played together, we were playmates, and we got along pretty well, and one day he was over at my house, and at this point I was 10 or 11, and I collected baseball cards, and I would save my nickels and dimes, and I would go to one of the local hobby stores, and we'd get the, you know, the latest deals, and so, so there we were, and I, I was showing Mark my, my newest treasures, and ooing all over, eyeing over the particular players, and it was in the 90s, and so they were really starting to pop, and the colors, and all that kind of stuff, and so I was showing him in my box my, my, my newest finds, and, and he admired them, and with me, and then we went on and played, uh, and then he went home. And then sometime later that day or the next, as, as little boys are wont to do, I went back to my little box of treasures and was looking at my cards, and I, I flipped through the box. I had a lot of cards, and I couldn't find the ones that I showed Mark. So, so I went back through again. They were gone. I was, I was stunned. I was blindsided. My friend stole my baseball cards. Who do you trust? Now, kids, who would you trust to take care of your pets or, or, or maybe guard your treasures? Adults, who do you trust with your reputation to watch your home? Your children, who would you trust with the pin and password to your bank account? And we're continuing in Leviticus today where God calls you to be holy because he is holy, he says your salvation in Jesus must have a definite impact on the way that you live. But the whole theme of the book, you've been delivered so that you can be devoted to God. If you've received that life-changing grace from Jesus as your Savior, if he's died as that sacrifice for you, then, then you're going to live your life as a sacrifice for him. And, and as you get to this part in Leviticus, it says part of that sacrifice is loving your neighbor. Well, last time we focused on one of the most well-known verses, part of which, 1918, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Holiness means loving your neighbor. And now we're going to look at specific ways... That God calls you to love your neighbor. Many of the commands that we read today, we're going to, we're going to group together and call it living out the truth or, or living truth. We're going to focus on the commandments. There's, there's a group of them that produce trust. To be honest. To be fair. To be generous. On the flip side, to, to, to avoid lying, favoritism, and theft. Let's read God's word today. And see what his will for us is as his people. Leviticus 19, starting at verse 9, and then we will jump to verse 32. This is God's word. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the surgeoner. I I'm the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. 
You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Going to verse 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourners with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all of my statutes and all of my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, as we, as we come to your word and we see that receiving the grace of Jesus has a, has a definite impact, it leaves a mark on our lives, where we be people that are constantly being changed and, to, and even today walk away growing more in Christ for his glory. We pray this in his name. Amen. And so the idea today from God's word is that holiness is living truth. To live your way out, your life, in a way that embodies truth. And as we examine these commands today, it's important to remember why the Lord gives them to you. The whole point of Leviticus is asking, how do we get back to Eden? How do we return to life in God's land with God living himself with us? And the answer was by sacrifice. God, God purifies us. He, he delivers by sacrifice. And now, because we're living in God's presence, there's this call to holy living. And so let's take a closer look at some of these commands. Where the, You see the Lord commands honesty. Verses 11 and 12. You shall not lie to each other. You shall not swear by the Lord's name. The Lord commands, uh, prohibits active harm with your words. Cutting down your neighbor. Or giving a false report. Verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. In a day when there was not forensic science in court, eyewitness testimony was most likely which would either bring a conviction or acquittal. It had the power of life and death. The Lord demands fairness. You're not to prefer the great or the poor in court. You are to be fair, especially in your business dealings. It talks about a, a just ephah or a just hin. These were the standards, measures of trade in the day. It would be like today, you are to have a fair gallon and a fair pound as you are measuring out the daily necessities of life. And of course, as a natural consequence of these things, you are not to rob or withhold from those you have the power to take. Verse 11 and 13. Um, these commands are fairly straightforward. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, or, or be positive. When, when God's people live out the truth, honesty leads to fairness, leads to generosity. Now, if you read these, uh, the stories about the gleaning, and you read about oppression, and you read about fairness, a lot of people use those words in different ways. We're not going to talk about that today. If you have those questions, that will be next Sunday, about how we are to be truly generous. Today, what we're going to look at is how God commands you to live out Truth in a way that sets the foundation for right relationships with your neighbors and, and incidentally allows you to be generous. And so to start, I want to see actually how this is not as easy as it seems. It's straightforward. But as we look at God's will for you to be living truth, let's first examine 
the question that our world asks, along with Pilate, what is truth? That's what we're asking today. As a society, Western civilization has been systematically decoupling itself from the truth. You know, it started with, with the Enlightenment thinkers, and you could talk about Lessing or, or Kant, and how there, there was a truth up there, and, and then there's reality down here, and somehow we know they're connected, um, but, but we don't know how. We certainly know it's not the Christian God, but, but we know it's there, and you better tell the truth. It's probably a little unfair to Kant, but you know, that's, that's kind of some of the thinkers that were moving us away from relying on God's word as the ultimate standard. And so though someone like Nietzsche comes along and says, oh no, you can't have your cake and eat it too. There's no God. There's no ultimate truth. All you have is the argument of the club. The one who has the biggest club has the best argument. It's all arguments of power and personal preference. And so what do we talk about? In our postmodern age, or maybe even post-postmodern age, it's not live the truth. It's live your truth. Live your truths. These little individual disconnected realities. And, and, and there's no coherent commitment to the truth anymore. And you can see the fallout in a society, and the breakdown and, and, and distrust, as you see in, in our various leaders and, and, and people of positions of prominence. You, know, you think about uh, the government, whether it's our unelected officials or our politicians. Wouldn't it be refreshing if just one politician took ownership for a past mistake? And you say, I said this back then, or I did this, and, and, and this is why I tried to do it, and this is, this is all my reasons. Um, but it was wrong, and here's what I've learned from it, and here's how I'll be a better leader. Wouldn't that be refreshing? I just don't know when the last time I've heard that. Or you, you see the way you know, big tech kind of, kind of conceals the way that it uses your data, or, or the finance sector's the questions, or, or the science or health, or, or maybe academia with you know, plagiarism on the rise, and, and now our mainstream media, you can peg who they are by what stories they will or won't cover. It doesn't seem like there's a commitment to the truth anywhere, simply advancing an agenda in the side. No matter where you are, and then add on AI, where you can create deep fakes and you may, can make anyone say anything. There's a New Horizons article about that. It seems like finding the truth and reality could be harder than ever. And of course, Christians should not be against the politicians or uh, bankers or academics. And uh, we, we need all those people and it's a, to the glory of God, but if it's done right. But can you feel the vacuum of truth in our society and the level of trust that's been breaking down? And that, that filters itself down into everyday life. You know, we have a lot of white-collar crimes today, whether it's tax evasion or insider trading or the, the fraud that's popped up with all the COVID protection plans. The government just threw money out there and people say, sure, we'll take that, whether it's ours or not. The cheating that's increasing in sports or education. Well, this is nothing new, but um, just reading in the New Horizon article how now you, know, you, you can use an AI to write a B-plus essay in college, and, and your professor might not even be able to figure it out. And what we're seeing is, is a low-level dishonesty now baked into our society. Now, this has been human condition for almost all of the age. When I was deployed over to Iraq, I didn't have this experience, but I heard some officers talk about the rampant corruption that was just built into that society, in, a, in the Iraq society, Iraqi society. So if you wanted to pay their soldier $100, you had to allocate 150 because you knew that the lieutenant would take some of the pay before he passed it on to the sergeant, who would take some more of his pay, before he finally gave two-thirds or whatever to the soldier himself. And they said, we tried to fight it. It was just too endemic. We just had to deal with it. Oh, 
But this is coming to America now, isn't it? How commonplace is it just to call in sick when you're not? Um, fudging your hours. Uh, you know, people are starting to default on their everyday loans. They say, well, after all, if the big banks are too big to fail and they defaulted, why should I pay my loans? Um, soldiers have this attitude, well, if I can get the government's money, I'm, I'm going to do it whether it's mine or not. I've told this story before, but I, it was very disappointing to see how often soldiers would coach me as I'm going through the, the retirement process about basically how to lie in order to get more money from the government. It's just... It's becoming more and more that the world we live in today. And this is made easier in a society that asks, what is truth? Now, it's important that we as God's people not just talk about the sins out there, but how do we perhaps bend the truth? How do we violate God's truth? First of all, do you resemble the world? As I describe some of those things, do you say, mm, I identify with some of those things. Sometimes that, those sins are me. Perhaps I'm not honest in my work. Perhaps you, you cheat at school. Um, but if you, if you haven't broken trust in those obvious ways, there's other ways. Have you ever used your friend's Netflix account? You know, they're not here. They're not, you know, they're not at your house and saying, hey, let's watch my Netflix. No, they just give you the password and well, that's stealing. Now, I think they've, they've built in like a friend's account where you're paying something because they're trying to just acknowledge that's going on. Do you ever tell stories that are not true or embellish accounts to make yourself come out the hero? Do you ever lie to cover up sins? Husbands and wives to each other, kids to parents? Sometimes it's so easy. It's one of those defensive mechanisms of the sinful heart that it just slips out of your mouth almost before you realize it. My last annual training with my unit before I deployed, it was three weeks, it was long, it was towards the end. Um, I had all my work done, I would read a stack of books, I'd been really productive, just wanted to go home. I talked to all the soldiers, I had nothing to do, so I had my laptop and there was a game on my laptop. I thought, I'm just going to you know, pass in the time this afternoon. And I, I had it this way so that the door was there and people wouldn't be obviously seeing what I'm doing. And um, one of the sergeants came in and said, hey chaplain, how's it going, what you doing? And before I even thought about it, I said, oh, I'm just catching up on some work. Lying to, to make yourself look better, to cover something. Um, or maybe you fail to call out falsehood or you go along with it. You won't plan to be dishonest, but if, if everyone else around you is, you're, you're not going to rock the boat. Um, Pride Month's coming up and people will ask you to put a, a rainbow flag on your desk or, or they'll ask you, aren't one of those intolerant Christians, are you? And you're silent. You just, you just go along. And we as God's people must not just say out there there's a problem with the truth, but look at our own lives and ask, where have I been unfair? Where have I been lying and repent? And as we spend a, a little bit of time here, I want you to see how very practical God's law is for your life. I don't think anyone can come away from this passage and say, oh, this doesn't apply to me. God gives you these laws for your good. And I hope you see the chaos that would happen and does happen in the world when the church ignores and questions God's commands to be truthful. Just just imagine, can you imagine today if, if all the gas stations started tweaking their pumps just a little bit so that you got paid less, you paid more for what you actually bought or or the grocery stores like they used to found a way to start adding sawdust to the bread and, or, or cutting your other basic supplies. Can you imagine not only how much uh, that would eat into your savings if that was throughout all of society, but how much energy and effort you would spend trying to find an honest gas station, grocer and mechanic? Or, or think about the relationships with my, my friend Mark, who, who took my cards. How can I trust him? 
Or, or teachers. How can teachers trust students who cheat? Or, or husband and wives who hide sins from each other, whether they're big or small. Right? There's this very practical. And, and God says the way you love your neighbor and the neighbor, brother, one another, this language comes in and it is, is by being truthful, is by honoring them with the truth. And yet I want you to see here in this text that we have a deeper motivation to the truth, even as good as that is. Why is it that you should live the truth, kids, when it's no longer cool? When, in fact, telling the truth or living the truth among your friends or at school can be deeply unpopular? How can you live the truth, adults, when it will cost you to stand for the truth? Um, The motivation is not only because lying and deception and theft is destructive, which it is, but because God is truth. That really answers Pilate's question, isn't it? What is truth? Is God is truth. What is the ultimate reason the Lord gives you to live the truth? Is it, is it because it builds up your reputation? Because you'll be successful in your business? You'll, you'll experience rich relations? No, although all are true. And those are blessings of obeying God's law. The, the reason is, I am the Lord. Repeated over and over and over again. This is who I am. God commands this, grounds this command in who he is. Right? The, the, the great irony that we read in the passage of John, where everyone around Jesus is acting in this false or unjust way, and, and Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? Jesus said previously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I define truth. And we see God is the one who creates reality, as the, as the one who made the world simply by speaking. He has the right and the ability to declare and define what is true. Right? Well, why is his law good? Well, because he built in that design to you, because he made you that way. And so God, God creates reality. We think about how God knows every single thing. God is perfect in his character. We read from the confession about the vastness of God in his goodness, about how incredibly large he is, how how um, it stands to reason that as the one who is this incredible, most glorious being, he is the one who defines truth. What he says goes. And, and the Bible makes it clear that that he is the highest authority. There's there's nothing else to which God can appeal. All of us are always appealing. We're we're quoting. We're 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 arguing. We're 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 pointing to something. We're illustrating. God is the highest authority. In Hebrews six, where it's talking about God making a promise, it says, "For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. You serve.'" An incredible God, an infinite God, an immense God who is holy and just, who never changes, who never tells a lie, who is truth. So he says, I am the Lord. Live this way because this is who I am. And God's character is, and his holy attributes is why lying and falsehood are so serious. It's, it's not just that telling a lie or, or, or breaking trust is disrespectful to the person that you're talking to, and that's true, but it, it goes against the very grain of who God is, and it is a sin against your creator. Right? In fact, lying and deception means that you're really joining Satan in rebelling against God. Remember Satan's tactic when he came through the serpent to Adam and Eve in the garden where that perfect fellowship and he wanted to destroy the goodness of creation and drive that wedge between God and man. And what did he do? 
Well, he starts by, by nibbling, by eroding the truth with a little question. Now, has God said? He plants that seed of doubt and he waters it and he, and he starts to grow. And finally, he ends with that bald-faced lie. He will not surely die. And when Jesus was arguing with the Jews in John, again, as truth is a theme, he says this to them. The Jews say, we don't know who you are. You don't have any authority. We don't even know who your father was. You are, you're illegitimate, illegitimate. And Jesus says, oh, I want to talk about fathers. Okay. Jesus says in John 8, 42, listen to this. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father lies. And this is why lying is so deadly serious, because you're going against the will of your creator and you're siding with the devil. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Now, our society does not believe in sin and often just rejects out of hand many of God's commands today. But I'll say that I think there's a point of contact here. Most of us have a conscience that feels it when we lie. And, you, you know, when you lie and you feel bad about it and it pricks your conscience, the world would say, well, it's just an evolutionary response, right? It's, it's fine tuning produced to get the best results because a, a fair society is the best society no, no, it's deeper than that. When, when you lie or cheat or steal, you know, there's something deeply wrong down inside of you. Why is that? It's because you were made in God's image and, and you violated his will and you're accountable to him. And perhaps when I listed some of those, those sins, the way we as a society and, and, and even we can, can lie, maybe in your own life, you remember some of those sins of your, of your own that, that bubble up to the surface. Why? Why is it that they, they stick up or even scream up? Because they're real offenses against the holy God. This leads to what Christians sometimes call the bad news of the good news. Right? We are creatures made in God's image. We're, we're accountable to him for our actions. Right? The, the gospel says, the beginning of the gospel, there's God's the righteous judge and will one day cast out sinners into eternal punishment, into hell. And people say, come on, not, not for little lies. Not, not for white lies, not, not for a little bending of the truth. Jesus, who is, probably speaks the str- most strongly of hell in the Bible, Matthew 20, uh, 12, 36, says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. In the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, John is talking about the people who will be united, will come and live in the garden in the new city with God, it says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. That's Eden language. That's life in the presence of God. Here's the contrast. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and Hitler, Stalin and Ben Laden. No, no. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And here's the bad news of the Bible. You are all accounted to, accountable to the perfect judge who is truth, who demands truth, who knows every unjust word, thought, and action in your life. You know, not only do we lie to others, but we often lie to ourselves. 
We can't bear the truth of who we are. And so we say, I'm not that bad. I'm a mostly good person. Right? If, you, if you talk out there, you know, God, God, uh, God takes the good that I do and the bad that I do and weighs them out. And if I do more good, he'll, he'll welcome me into his presence. That's not God's standard that we read in Romans 3, correct? There's no one righteous, no, not one. Their throat is open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. But here's the good news. Jesus knows, God knows, that you, that I have no hope, and he saw you in, in your lying and deception and cheating and sin and breaking his law and siding with Satan, and he comes in the flesh of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life as the person of Jesus, the one who lived out truth, and then died for you, the sacrificial lamb that Leviticus points to, to take away your sin and give you a new nature. You, you may have seen the, the Super Bowl commercial that's making its around. He, he gets us, right? And, and, of course, there is some truth in that, that God does understand us. But what the commercial doesn't say is, that it, what does God get about us? Well, he gets that you and I are sinners, that left on our own would be hell-bent against rebelling against him. And so not only does he get us, but he saves us from that. He comes and dies to deliver you for every sin, including every lie, every breach of trust. And so, as you see God's law, his will for you, before you, I just ask, where do you stand with Jesus, the Savior? Right? Are, are you trusting that the good words that you say are outweighing the falsehoods that you utter? Have you given your life to the one who is honest enough about you to tell you what you really are? Beautiful in his image, but but desperately needing salvation, has met his justice for you in his own death. And so now he can extend mercy in the fullness of his love. Do you know him? Well, when you do, when you know this Jesus, then he calls you to live out this truth. Right? You, you live out the truth as you are in Jesus. And now as your pastor, you know, I don't just say to you, well, God says don't lie, so go out there and be honest tomorrow. Just, just try harder, be better, no, it, it comes back to your relationship with Christ, who you have, what you have in him. You start at his feet as the one who is the truth, came in the truth. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows you as a shepherd knows his sheep. And so you can ask him this week to give you the power to go out and live his truth this week. And so go out and live the truth. You, you love God and your neighbor by living the truth. And here's a few ways that you can do that. First of all, affirm the truth. You'll prayerfully commit to be a person who loves God's truth. I don't do it every day, but sometimes I pray on the armor of God. I encourage you to, to consider that as a practice from time to time. And what's the first thing that you put on? It's the belt of truth. That you want to be surrounded and girded by God's truth. And that means you will stand up for it. I, I heard an interview with a, 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 a sister in Christ. She's a Christian in California. She, she was a teacher. Her name's Jessica Tapia. And, and um, she was simply uh, posting on her, her social media, looking at some of the, some of the um, gender-affirming wardrobe that they're trying to give to little kids these days. And she's saying, you know, isn't this concerning? And, and her kids caught on to it, and they started leveling complaints against her in the school board, which she was giving hot flying colors before that. Um, long story short, she's brought before the board several times and 
forced to, confronted with, you must sign this and this and this. She says, well, I can't sign the fact that I will not tell parents if they ask me if my, children, my students are changing their names or trying to change their gender. I, I can't allow boys into the girls' room. And so they said, well, then, thank you for your service. You are gone. There's a cross to affirm the truth and to stand up for it. Secondly, tell the truth in your words to be scrupulous about the truth. Are you careful with your words? Do you weigh them? Do you take them seriously? Now, sometimes it's difficult to know what you should say and what you shouldn't. When I was eight years old, uh, anyone who knows my, sees my handwriting or sees my illustrations knows that an artist I am not. But when I was eight years old, I had, I had watched that masterpiece, the, Jets, the Jetsons Meet the Flintstones, and I was inspired to, to you know, just make a masterpiece. And um, to, to, I was doing my own little Picasso work there. And so I, I took my sheet of paper and I told, took it to my four-year-old sister and says, Anna, what do you think of this? She said, it's terrible. Okay, sometimes there's, there's time for speaking the truth in love. But are you a person that people can take at your word? At work, if you do something, if you say you're going to do something, does it get done? In your personal relationships, parents to children, as, as you are teaching your children about God's truth, can they believe you because you're setting a track record of trustworthiness? When our kids ask to do something, I try to be very careful about what I commit to until I know that we can do it. And there's still times that the parents say, sorry, I say, we tried our best. We're going to do it as soon as we can, but I want our kids to be able to trust us. Tell the truth. We live the truth. We haven't talked about this too much, but it goes without saying that you don't steal. And, and if you have, if you've taken something that's not yours, then you need to return it and make restitution. We, as, as Christians who live before Christ, do not cheat. And it doesn't matter what the cost is. And there may be real costs because people are getting really good at cheating. It means that you might not get that scholarship or that position. You say, I have treasure in heaven. It's worth it to honor the Lord. That you live with honesty and integrity. I know Pastor Peter and I, we both take our cars over to Pete's Auto right at the circle. And I, I, he has three, three values. I think they're honesty, integrity, reliability. It's along those lines. And I'll tell you what, whenever I need to get work on a car, I just assume it's going to take one to two weeks to wait. Every once in a while he can fit me in. Because he is so backed up, because Pete is honest and fair in his dealings, he happens to be a brother of Christ who goes to a gospel church, believing church in Woodstown. We live the truth. And then you can confess the truth, even when it involves your own sin. And here's the joy of the gospel. The grace of Jesus can allow you to confront the truth of your own sin and be completely honest about it. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to make excuses for it. You don't have to minimize it. You can repent freely and fully of that sin when you do lie, and we will until heaven. And so that day, when I told Sergeant Moyer, oh, you know, I'm just finishing up some work, and he left, of course, I'm thinking, ah, I just lied. And so I didn't really want to, but the Lord convicted me, yeah, you need to talk to him. And so the next day we were out in the range and came up to him and said, Sergeant Moyer, I lied to you yesterday. I looked him right in the eye and I said, you know, this is what I said I was doing, but this is what I was doing. He said, oh, sir, it doesn't matter. We all do that. No. I said, no. No, the truth matters. And maybe if I'd been a little bit more astute, I said, and God requires me to tell the truth. 
Well, in a society that's asking, what is truth? Think about what does it look like when we live out the truth? Well, let me close with this example from Iraq. I talked about earlier about that built-in corruption that was just baked into the system. Well, before all of the, the wars over in Iraq, there was a small but solid percentage of Christians, maybe 5 to 7 percent. Um, I think, sadly, that's decreased after ISIS and all of the disruption that's there. But I heard stories of these Christians and that the Iraqi businessmen would often seek these Christians out to be their shopkeepers and accountants because they knew they would be honest. In a culture that was corrupt, they would be honest. And may that be us as well. And perhaps even as we live in a, in a country that's becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, and people might say, I don't get these Christians. I don't get their strange practices on Sunday. They seem unloving in the way that they won't affirm these lifestyles that we cherish. But hey, I've got to give it to them. They're honest people. Even when it costs them, they're honest. And, and perhaps the Lord will even use our living truth to build bridges, to share the good news of our Jesus as the one who is true. May that be us. Please pray with me. Father, we all stand convicted under your word, but we all are also lifted up by such a wonderful Savior. We thank you for both the, the, the model and, and the deliverer and, and the power that Jesus is for our lives. Would you help us to identify where we need to repent and maybe even to do so today? And then to go out by your grace and to be built up in the truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.